Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Merry Christmas, everyone. Today I'm joined by Nick Jelso, who I'm sure you all know, part of the owner of CLNS Media. Nick's joined me today to talk about what transpired with Isaiah Thomas and the beef that followed. So, Nick, how are you doing today, man? Thank you for taking time to join us on Good the Christmas. Holidays, man. Merry Christmas. Uh, glad to be here. And uh, I love all the Christmas cheer this morning with the Isaiah beef. Yeah, so that kind of uh, took a turn really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, leave it to Jeff Goodman, right? Poor Bob Ryan is just sitting there. <laughs> and Jeff just kind of railed into Isaiah. But there's a, there is a pass there, so uh, I could understand it. And obviously Isaiah can't see what he's saying anyway because he's blocked. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I think Isaiah probably – if you look at it this way, my friend, like – Take the malice at the palace. Even go back further. Take there's that clip that Max Cedric Maxwell's been blowing around on Twitter of him jumping in the stands in the eighties in Philadelphia, ironically. You take that clip, then you take the clip of the malice at the palace, and then you take the clip of Isaiah, you know, he should not have gone into the stands, but going into the stands and talking to this fan with so much civility. It's almost a commercial for the progression of the fan-player relationship in the NBA from 1980 to 2002 or whatever to 2020. Um, so, I mean, like, it, it, it was irresponsible. He shouldn't have done it. It could have easily es escalated, especially in Philadelphia. That's a tough crowd. Been there many times being a PA boy. and uh, But it didn't. And two games – suspension and a lot of people were saying it should have been a 20 game suspension just for the fact that it could have escalated yeah and those fans got suspended too it wasn't just like it was a one-sided punishment yeah i mean they just wanted a flurry or what if they want a blizzard they, they just this whole like uh fan experience thing that is now gone into tacos and chick-fil-a's and now blizzards like this is ridiculous dude it's a dollar like are you really gonna get that crazy as a fan to save a dollar at wendy's or wherever it was and uh i see it i mean i like i said i think isaiah isaiah you know it, he handled it irresponsibly well if that makes sense and then i see jeff's point in all that with uh saying you know get a little thicker skin it because it wasn't like he was the fans are going to be fans. I mean, this, this is not new. This has been going on. Like I said, look back at whatever that fan said to Max. He will never tell me what, it, what the fan said to him to get him all riled up. But whatever the fan said then, that was 40 years ago, 30, almost 40 years ago. So it's been going on since Jackie Robinson. In the, it doesn't make it right, but Isaiah, what was said to him was vulgar, obscene, disgusting, but it wasn't. Uh, so egregious that it wasn't any worse than probably what's been shouted at me uh, walking into a visiting arena in DC, for instance. I mean, I was there back in fifth, the Isaiah Thomas playoff run 
covering that series, fans were spitting on us, calling us fake news. That was during the Trump election. So, I mean, this stuff isn't exclusive to players. The media gets it too. And I see what Jeff is saying. And, on the, and I also see what Max is saying as somebody who's been in that circumstance. I don't know what it's like to be in the heat of a moment playing basketball and have, you know, somebody say something that triggers you, what I would do. But I do know that, you know, saying F you and flipping the bird, that ain't new. In, in, and it's not exclusive to the NBA. It happens in every sport. In baseball, you can actually hear it because it's so quiet at certain times in the, in the stadium. So, you know, I guess what are you going to do, man? I mean, it's, it's, it's not bad PR, but not good PR for the NBA either way. Um, it is ironic that it's, it's Philadelphia because uh, of, you know, the situations that have happened between – uh, you know, Boston or players in, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia fans can be brutal. Brutal. Yeah, there's no love lost. Um, again, for me, it was more. It was shocking to see how how quick how quickly he was ha- happy to. As soon as there was a timeout, he he wanted to get into that crowd. So the yeah. biggest the biggest point to me was that must have been playing on his mind for a good few minutes after they actually took what happened. That's what I said to to Max. I said, you know, this is a bit of a different scenario than uh, what he went through in, in, in that East. First of all, it was an Eastern Conference Finals against two teams who absolutely hated each other. Second of all, if you look at the tape, I mean, there's a gif out there of it. Um, you know, the player or the, the, the fan obviously says something uh, really nasty to, to Cedric Maxwell, who was a tough guy, but he wasn't a fighter, you know. Um, this to, and it was very reactionary, right? The malice at the palace escalated, but it was also, oh man, what a disaster, but it was also reactionary. This was something Isaiah contemplated for a good duration of time before he did it. And you expected it to be him saying the N word, not that, not that there's, that's the end all be all for athletes to say, okay, they said the N word, I could go on the stand. I mean, the point is you expected it to be something so inflammatory. And then if you watch that clip, I saw it on Twitter today of uh, with the Goodman Bob Ryan podcast thing. Um, you, you see the beginning of that clip. Isaiah is explaining to the media what happened. Isaiah looks like a kindergartner who got his hand slapped and you're like over a flurry. Like, everybody was just like, what? You know, so that's where I think Jeff is coming from with, you know, thicken up your skin a little bit, Isaiah, because fans will be fans. You can't control all 20,000 people in an arena. And there is a line that, that is crossed. And But that line, it, I don't know that it crossed. It was more up to the uh, spectr- uh, spectrum. It was more up to the uh, Wells Fargo Center, Wells Fargo Center to, you know, uh, to police that as a fan experience for other fans around them and not Isaiah Thomas's role to go up into the stands, you know, three, four, five minutes later. And this, ain't, this is not the first time that, that, that Isaiah has had um, – Issues with fans, I remember a couple years back when he was with Boston, 
him arguing with a fan. I don't remember where it was, but there is a video out there somewhere of him, you know, jawing with a fan from the bench. So, you know, I can't imagine. I'm not a player. I'm not in the heat of the battle. Uh, I have experienced some of it media-wise, but not to the extent of 82 games a season. So I can't really relate, but I could say I see all sides in the story. And if you were to follow NBA rules, that's a 20-game suspension at a minimum. But I feel like Adam Silver, in this case, uh, you know, kind of probably put into perspective what exactly was said and done and reacted uh, really pretty – pretty uh uh what's the word i'm looking for he was he, he was pretty he wasn't you know he, he pretty much reacted to it with a suspension that was light considering what the nba rule would be for a player to go into the stands i mean that's really what that comes down to rules right isaiah broke a rule and you know whether you like what he said didn't like what he said or the way he handled it doesn't it's really irrelevant like I love the way he handled it I think it's a like I said it's a PR piece of PR public relations tape that the NBA should play over and over but they can't do that obviously because then other players are going to think it's okay but the point is it was handled really classy by Isaiah but it didn't have to be handled at all I mean think about I remember geez you know the old Boston Garden you get the, the things that were being screamed at the Pistons and during those rivalry years well, they were at the free throw line, uh, you know. So as you talk about even... rules, do you think this yeah. is going to lead to lead us down a road where there's going to be fan rules, where there's going to be a code of conduct to be well, there is. To? There is. I mean, and that's that's policed by the operations of the arena, and it doesn't. I don't. I don't think that it changes event to event, league to league, um, and that's why. But that is why you see. Fans getting, uh, except for in New York, where they get booted for cursing at their own team. <laughs> uh, but that's why you see arenas banning uh, fans for life. I don't know how they how they police that, really, because how do you, they know if they, if they don't come again? But the point is, it's up to the arenas to do that. It's up to the player to get security. And if Isaiah was so flipped out about it, he should have just gotten his – they all have personal security at this point. He should have gotten a security guy's handler to, to go up there and tell the ushers to get that fan out. You know, where does it end? I mean – Well, this is the point. It, it's happening wait, 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 How many times in the last season have we heard Boston Garden chant bull SHIT, right? I mean, all, all the time. So now what are you going to do? Kick out 16 of the 18,000 people? Where does it end? That's the question. And I think that was part of Jeff's point, too. Let's save that reaction for when something really, really egregious happens. No, I, I completely agree. I do feel that some fans take it too far, but they are very few and far between. Uh, the amount of sporting events that happen on a weekly basis and then the amount of incidents like this, except this was actually quite mild, uh, they're oh, so few. It was laughable. I it think was like, laughable. Isaiah handled it like as you said. Isaiah handled it with class. He um, what he actually said to the guy was basically just conduct yourself better, be a fan. But it's really, I agree with you, and I and I and I love it. But at the same time, 
it's an overreaction. It should have never happened in the first place because Isaiah should have never gone up and given that. Is it encouraging? I ask you this. Is it encouraging other fans to do the same so they can have a conversation with the player? I mean, it, where does it end? So, yes, Isaiah handled it like a gentleman. And I said that in multiple tweets. It's, you know, but at the same time, he still broke the rules. And when you heard the postgame presser of what exactly it was over, Isaiah kind of comes out looking like the goof. Yeah, and his fans are goofs anyway. So much buzz said to him in the past that he's let slide. Well, dude, I mean, everybody's letting stuff slide every game. I mean, this is what I'm saying. And then why why choose to react over something as minimal as that interaction there? That's what made me question it more. Like, you've probably had people say some real, like, ludicrous stuff to you during games. Oh, my God. As a fan, I sat for the first time at TD Garden in years. I sat for the Houston game last year. Do you remember that game? It was Houston come to town. I believe it was the one of the many times Kyrie melted down. Um, but the Celtics just got booed off the court. And let me tell you, I sat, I paid, you know, $1,200 for three tickets to sit in the loge. It was more, I think. And I sat there around a swarm of 20,000 fans booing their own team and yelling obscenities at their own team. Never a racial slur. Never anything that you wouldn't hear. Uh, at a Yankees game or a uh, Patriots game, you know, so bombs, stuff like that. But it was not, it was a hostile environment towards their own team. What was, what, what should have been done at that point? There were tons of obscenities. Should they vacate Boston Garden? You know, so there's a, there's a slippery slope there that uh, we're, tr- we're treading between what is uh, ruining fan experience, what is distracting or disrespectful to players, how close the court is to the fans. I mean, that alone is a huge topic. Everybody's talking about this silly tournament nonsense. I mean, fans should get up in arms. The beauty of basketball is the fact that the fans are so close to the players and part of the, almost feel part of the game. You start moving the, the arena. I mean, the, the Pistons used to play at the Silver Dome, and it felt like, watching it on TV, like there were no fans there because there were so many fans and they were so far away from the court. Part of the fan experience with the NBA is you could see the faces of the players. You could see facial expressions. They look human and you can almost feel like you're interacting with them throughout the game experience. When you put 20,000 people in a room together, there is inevitably going to be a couple hundred that are jackasses and that's just sports. Oh, for sure, dude. I mean, I live in a soccer country where the fans are jackasses to each other. Um, mm-hmm. it's, and the thing is, that's how, they, that's how they enjoy the game. Like, it's the atmosphere that that builds and the rivalry. But I completely agree. Whenever I've been to an NBA game, the fact that I'm so close to the floor, no matter where you are as well, as like, the, the way the stadiums are built out in the States is you always feel close no matter how far back you are. You don't get that in any other sporting event I've been to. So I'm no. I'm completely in agreement with you'd want to keep it as it is. But it, as you say, it's almost impossible to police. You've got 20,000 people, 100 of them are being a problem. How do you stop that from happening on a regular recurrence? It might be just well, one of those. And when does it cross the line, my man? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, F you and throwing the bird is a, more of a slap in the face of a fan who's doing it 
because it's so classless, but it certainly isn't something that deserves uh, a player to get so repulsed about it to go up into the stands. However, if a fan next to them is sitting with their 10-year-old kid, I would, as that the parent of that kid, go to the usher and tell them to get them out of there. So this isn't new. This has been going on for the history of sports, you know? So, I mean, it's just a matter of that's a situation where I feel like he overreacted. I loved the way he talked to the fan. If it was a courtside fan, not, he didn't have to walk up, you know, into the, the, the uh, stands. Maybe it would be a bit of a different situation, but uh, I like Isaiah. I mean, I have nothing but, but good things to say about him, and I'm not critiquing his – I'm looking at all sides of the story here, you know. I know, you know, Cedric Maxwell's pretty fired up about this. So are a lot of other old-time players I could see. Um, media seems to be less on Isaiah's side and more on the side of, of, uh, of, of not the fan, but just saying Isaiah reacted, a little bit overreacted. But the players know what it's like. A guy like Max in the 80s was probably getting the N-word screamed at him every other night. You know, I don't know that, but it's possible. So that's a whole different situation. No, completely. Like, unless I feel like that kind of says a lot as well between the fact that ex-players are sticking up for Isaiah where media are leaning more towards the fan. It's different yeah. experiences which build on build different outlooks. What I want to talk about experiences, Enes Kanter's going to get a new experience yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to be playing his first away game in what is it, nine years? Well, out of the country, yeah. And yeah, I think it's it's fantastic, not just from the standpoint of uh, politically and and culturally and legally, everything Ennis has got. And first of all, Cantor is a phenomenal dude, like just a nice guy. Um, he lightens up the locker room. Him coming almost completely. The day he announced his jersey kind of changed the whole attitude of the locker room. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love the dude. To see now that he's going to be able to travel to Toronto is a, a big feather in his cap, but also a huge bonus for the Celtics because Cantor has been playing um, exceptionally well. I mean, as far as rebounding and I just – he's showing um, – something we haven't seen in a long time, which is being able to, to, to play the boards. I mean, I, I think the last time somebody grabbed 18 rebounds for in a Celtics uniform was maybe Solinger in 13 or 14. Prior to that, it had to be KG. So you're not looking at a team that has, you know, rooted themselves in, in defending boards. It's more been about defending the fast break, get out. Doc was always pushing players to get out and defend the break. Stevens similarly. So to see Cantor single-handedly, you know, out-rebound a team, the opposing team, that is, to me, an old-school basketball fan, super exciting. Um, plus, he's a good shooter, and he's a great locker room guy, and I'm super – I'm really happy for him. Other than that, I think this Toronto game is pretty anticlimactic on a Christmas day, uh, but what are you going to do – when your superstar is, does the unthinkable, leave your own team after winning a championship. That's a whole nother discussion. 
Yeah, we'll have to save that discussion for the next time you come out. <laughs> the, the other thing that makes it anticlimactic is you're most likely not going to see Pascal Siakam, which has been yeah. the guy that's really stepped up. Yep. So there's not much really to speak about. I mean, we're going to get to see Gordon, hopefully see Smart. Um, other than that, having these guys back on the court, it should be a comfortable game. I'm not going to say an easy win because there's no easy wins, especially on the road. No. But not I'm, on the road, not on Christmas. I'm expecting a comfortable game. The the way Here's Jason, what I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to it being a noon start. I can sit and watch hoops while I relax with my family, pig out, and before dinner. <laughs> and then by the time you're going to have Christmas dinner, the game is on to the next game that you could just put on mute. Um, but having the Celtics play at noon on Christmas Day to me, is just, that's been the holidays my whole life. You know, those are that brief period during the 90s where you didn't see it so much. But growing up, it was Celtics-Lakers, or it was Celtics-Sixers, followed by Lakers, usually Mavericks or Lakers-Houston. And that's just how it always went down. And that's what makes Christmas Christmas. I mean, unofficially, tomorrow is really the start of the NBA season. I like that take. I also like the fact it's on at noon because that's 5 p.m. my time. So I'll be just settling down after Christmas dinner. Right. But I like that yeah. take where you're saying it's the start of the season. Because this after here's where the games start to count, right? Right. I mean, you look at uh, Thanksgiving is kind of, well, first of all, it's a great holiday. But it's kind of the, um, in America, that would be the, the NFL and the college football. Um, but Christmas is all about basketball. And to me, that's when the games start to count. The real season starts on, J- on December 26th. And uh, the Celtics are entering, you know, that portion of the season at a period or at a record. And, a, a uh, you know, uh, this season so far being far outside of everybody's expectations for what this team would be now. Are there concerns? Of course, there are. Injuries have been an issue, but they have really muscled through them well. Now, and just got word out of Celtics practice, Hayward is saying he feels his foot is related to the ankle. That, to me, is concerning. Uh, Hayward, in general, has been a concern. Um, but the encouraging news is Hayward's not in. Jalen Brown steps right in. I mean, this team is deep. And they love each other, which is just after last year's horrendousness to tell you that I, I you know, covering, I, co- I covered my fir- I, first game of the season about two weeks ago, which is very odd for me. I'm usually there every single game. And to see the difference, not just in the garden being uh, redesigned and renovated, but also in the locker room. Oh, my God. Dude, when I tell you it's night and day, it's night and day. And it doesn't mean they're less locked in. They seem to be very locked in, but they're locked in with each other towards a common goal. And this is the team that Brad Stevens just fits perfectly with. Kemba is a dream come true. Cantor has been phenomenal um, from a locker room standpoint, from – Uh, what we talked about earlier with some of the the things he brings to in-game play. Uh, The second half of the season should be 
a good stretch. I'm looking forward to February because I'm going out to LA for that road trip. Um, I have some some stuff set up to do some interviews with Max and some of the old Lakers from Showtime era. So to be able to see that road trip with uh, Lakers, Utah, and Portland, I haven't been to Portland arena in forever. I am super excited about that. Uh, and I don't really, I mean, the, the toughest part of the stretch of the season was early on. So we're through that. Um, do I think that they're a title contender? Probably not but they're way better than what we thought they would be. And they're not out of the equation for a long playoff run. Out of all that, all I really want to know is which Showtime Lakers have you got an interview with? Ah, that's a QT, <laughs> man, but they are not. They are not. Let's put it this way. They are not past uh, the sixth or seventh man on. So there's num- a number of them and they're not past so they are from starters to the sixth man so you can kind of figure it out from there um and i can't tell you as an old school celtics fan how exciting it is to go out and you know meet some of these people who have become friends and also kind of reunite a former rival with them in many cases he has Max has not spoken to any of the Showtime Lakers except uh, Magic and Michael Cooper since he last played against them in '85 in the finals. So uh, I was able to blessed to sit in on, an, on a conversation that's on Max's podcast with Michael Cooper the first time that they spoke uh, in 30 years. And let me tell you something, man. If you're a basketball junkie, that was basketball porn. I mean, it was just, I went right back to being a little kid, you know, and just listening to these two guys talk about things that, if you're a hoop head and you like the history, listen to Max's podcast. It's, it's probably about three months ago, two months ago. Um, the audio quality is kind of not great because Cooper was in his car but man, it's worth muscling through it because the conversation is incredible. So to do that in person, um, I will see Coop. I mean, everybody knows that I'm friends with him, but to meet some of the other guys we're talking about and doing some work together is uber exciting. You'll be putting all this out once it's done though, right? It'll be on your YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that depends. We'll see how it goes. I, I sense that, we will see more NBA legends, not just Celtics, but more NBA legends on, on our channel, on the CLNS channel uh, in 2020. It seems to be a new kind of uh, fad that everybody wants to hear from these guys. And I think it's because they keep it real, you know, and they're not afraid to, to praise, defend, or criticize uh, the current players of today and putting it into context, they surely can do it because the game has changed so much um, from physicality, from every standpoint that there's a great, it's greatly polarizing uh, amongst fans to say what era of the NBA was better. You know, I know my opinion and I'm not going to get into that now. Uh, just put age on me, but 
<laughs> These guys are, are true, man. They, they fought the battles. They were the people who built the league to what it is today, and they, they have a voice. And, and the players today, 100%, uh, fact by Embiid with Shaq and, and, uh, Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Barkley the other week, a couple weeks ago. You know, these players look up to uh, the, the legends that came before them. And the legends that came before them still want to be involved in the game and have a voice. So we're hoping to be able to do some more of that in addition to what we've already done uh, with some of the, the legendary players and media members like Bob Ryan. Dude, that guy I had to listen to all day. You know, he could talk about box score from 1967 and I would sit there and it would be like I'm listening to, you know, a masterpiece. He's just brilliant. Brilliant. If you find any of these legends out in the UK, I'll be happy to go and get some content. <laughs> well, you know, I was looking at uh, something a while back. So um, I was back, man, these, these legends have been coming around back. I was, this was like 2007 or 8. I was doing um, Celtics post-game show. And who calls in from the UK but John Amici, who is – you know, one of your guys, you know, from the UK, a former NBA player, I think he was a journeyman, um, but called in out of nowhere, was just listening, called in, and I haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, I did see him on, um, they were doing like tea time with John Amici on NBA TV a couple of years back, and, and they had at that, on that particular one, I think they had like Dominique Wilkins and Max and and scowl. It was a really cool episode. Uh, so you got your guys out there too. We have Hakeem Elijah one turn up very regularly. Other than really? that, yeah, very, very regularly, like two, three times a year. Really? For what? Uh, he teaches basketball camps. Dude, I got to tell you what, like he's probably one of the more underrated, I don't want to say underrated, or maybe under discussed players uh, of. In NBA history, I mean, Olajuwon was so good, evidenced by how many NBA – it's like NBA superstars, when they're on budding stars, they're great. And then they go and they work out with Olajuwon or Kevin McHale over the summer, and they come back superstars. Olajuwon has molded so many people at, at every position on the court. So it's pretty cool that he's out there. I've never met him. Um, I hear he's a wonderful guy. But I never had met him, and I, I my me best memories are when he was Akeem Olajuwon, and he was alongside Ralph Sampson um, back in the the late '80s, mid late '80s, early '90s, and uh, he was just he was a savant man. He just and quiet and respectful and played the game the way it should be played. Same thing with like Dr. J, man. You look at that guy. I mean, if the NBA would combine the records between the NBA and the ABA, Dr. J would still sit around number three on the all-time scoring list. People don't realize how good he was. I used to love watching highlights of him back in the day oh. when the internet first came around. Yeah, when, you know, Dr. J, you would watch him now on NBA Classic. You know, sometimes you watch those games and you're like, man, the game was really slow. It was really on it. Then you watch a Sixers game. You know, and the doctor, I mean, that guy played the way Jordan was playing. And even some of the players today, he doesn't have the range that players do today, 
but man, he had that mid range game. He was just so athletic and like poetry emotion to watch. Uh, and just another guy that just, I think doesn't get discussed. The NBA just put something out yesterday for Christmas from Bernard King. I mean, that guy, another one and in New York, Nick, that just gave Larry Bird fits and, uh, was just a scoring machine, another under-discussed under player. There's a lot of them. That's a whole nother podcast. Oh, yeah, and we're going to get loads of this content from you on this LNS channel come the start of the year, I'm hoping. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end it here and let everybody get back yeah. to that Christmas day, get ready for the game. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming on, Nick, man. We'll have to do it again later in the year. Yeah, man, anytime. I'm glad to see you. I, I had a voice on this podcast for a year or two, had a lot of fun doing it, but my voice does not compare to that accent, man. You keep up the good work. You're working with amazing people. Jeff Clark is probably one of my favorite people and somebody that I look up to, God, for 15 years. So um, I'm glad to see that the show is in good hands, and I'm happy to participate, and I will be at just about every game in the second half of the season. So you're going to see my ugly mug on more videos coming out of the garden. So yeah, I'll look prepared. out for you when I, uh, I should be coming out there for one of the games. So I'll look out for you. Good. Make sure you do, man. Make sure you, you, you check in and uh, you know, we'll get you to meet Max and a couple other people and, and uh, have a ball, you know, because listen, one thing Jeff has done exceptionally well that no one, including myself, I think can, mimic especially having transitioned celtics blog to a corporate entity now he has kept the community aspect intact and you're a part of their team now you probably i'm still in their slack channels and i'm communicating regular regularly you probably have experienced uh that feeling and jeff has a great way of making people feel part of a community and responsible to a community which kind of pulls everything we're talking about back full circle. You have a responsibility, you know, as a member of the Celtics blog staff, just like a player does as being a player in the NBA, to behave and act in a certain way. And, and Jeff has done all that during a corporate, you know, as his company, is, his blog moved over to be corporatized by SB Nation, yet kept that intact and kept it fun and rewarding to contribute. So my love to Jeff Clark and everybody at Celtics blog, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and thanks for having me on. Man, you've hit the nail on the head, Jeff. He's a great guy. Uh, everybody over at Celtics blog actually have been fantastic. Super They're welcoming. Just wonderful people. Yeah, great guys. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> you, look at, you look at the, the talent that's come through that, that site, that URL, celticsblog.com, and has left to go on to bigger, bigger, humongous things, uh, way bigger than what I've done. And it's a tribute to Jeff Clark and, and uh, all the old timers. And a lot of them are still there. You know, a lot of the same people that were contributing 10, 15 years ago are still there. And that's awesome. So good luck with it. Give my love to everybody. And, uh, and we'll speak Christmas. again. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Keep the faith, man. Go Celtics. See Go you. Celtics.